following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. If JFK knew what would happen that fateful day in Dallas, would he have ever even entered that city? If any of the people on that 9-11 day long ago knew what was going to happen to those Twin Towers and they, and, and to them also, as they were in it, would they have ever even entered those towers or would they have even remained in the city? If you knew that if you went to the next town over, there was a band of wicked men, wicked men, who not only wanted to do something about their hatred towards you, but they had the ability to do something, would you get anywhere close to that town? Would you ever approach that city? So as our Savior goes into Jerusalem, the fact that he willingly goes is already a profound thought at that. He knows what's happening, and yet he still goes. I mean, if I knew that in Asheville, downtown Asheville, there was going to be some people who were going to not only have the ability to do something about their hatred towards me, but they were going to bring other people along with it, and then all of a sudden I was going to, let's say, be hanged, that'd be terrible. There's no way I would go to downtown Asheville. Not tomorrow, not today, not any day. And a hanging would be terrible. But that can't compare to death on a cross. So not only is it profound to think that Jesus would walk into the city of his death, period, but that he would be so humble and so willing to go into this city where he would die, not just any kind of death, but death on a cross. We won't go beyond the PG rating to describe all the things that make death on a cross so gruesome and so awful. But what we can say is that it's not just the nails. It's not just the asphyxiation. It's not just the progressive shutdown of parts of the body. All the while, you know what's going on. It's not the gruesome agony that reaches to the far ends of your toes and your fingers. It's not just that. It's that he knew he was also going to suffer the payment that we all should pay to God. The punishment that we deserve would be put upon him. So far beyond just the wounds and the beatings and the floggings, even that precipitated and led up to death on a cross, It was the spiritual and eternal weight that he would also experience. All of that is wrapped up to death on a cross. He knew even that. So not just that he would die, but all that that would entail, even death on a cross. This teaches us something about our Savior. It teaches us about his humility. Now, when we think of humility, it's important to distinguish humility from humiliation or being humiliated. Jesus did have a state of humiliation, we might say. As we, as we study God's word, we learn of his state of humiliation as opposed to his exaltation. Well, what does that mean? It, his humiliation, you can see that just in these words. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he became nothing and take, took on the very nature of a servant. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. All of these steps describe him setting aside the full use of his divine power and glory. 
You can see that even in the first half of the second article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. All of those details that Christians have been confessing for a long time describe Jesus, who being fully God and fully man in one, setting aside the full use of his divine power and glory. That is not him being humiliated. That is a state of humiliation. And why? He's humbling himself. In humility he goes for you. There's something even more profound yet. As if it's easy to, to surpass the profound nature of the things we've seen thus far. God knows that in order for us to be saved, there has to be one who steps in our place. Who's powerful enough and worth enough to be the sacrifice for us, but has to still be sacrificable. There has, still has to be something tangible about the nature of this sacrifice. And that's exactly what we see in our Savior, is it not? He's the very nature of God. He did not consider that to be used to his own advantage. Instead, still being in very nature, the Son of God, still fully human, experiencing all the things that you and I experience, except he never sinned, there he goes, as a lamb, uncomplaining, forth he walks to the altar. Not an altar that would resemble anything like that of the Old Testament, but an altar in the form of two crossbeams, where he would be nailed and sacrificed for us all. And it has to be that way so that the one who is fully God would be worth the payment for us all. But he would have to be fully human so that there could be a sacrifice, flesh and blood, at all. It has to be this way. Now that's really easy to say when we're talking about somebody else, right? But when we consider our own lives and what it would actually be like to willingly sacrifice for others, that, that becomes something entirely different. I mean, think about putting yourself in Jesus' shoes. Now, God never asked us to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes. That's why Jesus came to be our Savior. And of all the things we cannot be, it is our own Savior or the Savior of anyone else. But, but just think about the very nature of this type of humility. That he's not only fully God, but he never uses that to his own advantage. Instead, he willingly walks forward in, in this state of humiliation in order to sacrifice everything for everyone. That type of humility is something that is literally outside of this world. It certainly is outside of our lives. I mean, I can look at myself and consider everything that I possess as an ability, for example, or everything that I can consider is an asset, a, a strength, a quality, a characteristic that might be beneficial to my life or to this world. All of us have them. Let's say, just for me, for example, I'll be the scapegoat. Just, just for me, for example, all of those things that I possess that might be considered as positives, as benefits, do I use all of those things, not for my own advantage, but in humility and in humble service for the betterment of other people around me? None of us are in very, the very nature of God and therefore could even ever consider what it's like to debate 
inwardly whether or not we would use this very nature God aspect to be used to our own advantage or for the advantage of others. But you don't have to in order to think that all of the things that we possess as our own nature, our own benefit, our own assets, are these things that we use for our own advantage or for the advantage of others? So such a difference, such a contrast, such a dichotomy between all that we know and the way that we think in our very sinful nature versus the very nature of Jesus himself, who goes into the city of Jerusalem in order to take care of the lack of humility that we all exhibit. I mean, think about it. The, the arrogance that even creeps into our mind when we think of other people who really should exist in order to serve us, rather than the first thought being that we should serve others. Think of how we take advantage of situations, whether it's a, a conversation. We, we manipulate a conversation so that it can work against someone. We can, we can manipulate a person's opinion of another by, by gossiping, by slandering them. And why? So that we can look better than that other person? That, that's the opposite of humility. We, we can use all of the gifts that God has given us, not in service to others, but in service of self. Whether it's in the workplace, we can try to work our way around certain avenues and certain structures so that it ends up being that we rise to the top, but in rising to the top, we end up, end up stepping on others along the way as though they are our ladder or step stool. All of this we see so readily and easily, not only in the world out there, but in our lives and in, even in our hearts. And what do we have before us? A Savior who is the exact opposite. Why? Because this type of king isn't the type of king who expects appreciation, who demands affirmation, and who wants the accolades in order to boost his ego. This is the Savior who goes in to the city of his death so that everyone would know exactly how it is that he is going to fulfill the demands of eternity. Not by using all of this around and everything inside for his own advantage, but to lay it down. To seek and to save what was lost. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. And that includes you and me. And so the Apostle Paul then, he depicts a Savior who willingly sets all of this down. Why and to what end? So the fact that he would become obedient to death, even death on a cross, it is on account of those facts, everything that we anticipate to celebrate this most holy and impactful week, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Therefore, Jesus is the Savior. He is at the right hand of the Father. He controls all things. And therefore, on account of that, everyone who belongs to him has their sins forgiven and their eternity secure. Therefore, therefore, that also teaches us that everything that the Apostle Paul says at the very beginning is also true. In your relationships with one another, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So what might that look like in your life? Might it be that God is so much more in store for you when everything that you have really should be leveraged as an advantage for others and not for yourself? Those blessings are hard to see and they are antithetical. They are opposite to everything that we naturally think about in life. 
But might it be that God has greater blessings in store for you when those assets that you have, those benefits, those characteristics, those qualities that you have are used in service to others, that there God would provide those people not only with benefit, God would also give them a glimpse of what the Savior is actually like. Somebody who takes everything that could be used as an advantage for self and instead uses those things as an advantage towards humble service. I'm not exactly sure what that would look like in your life, but what I can say for certain is that any time God has allowed me to witness other people doing that, whether it was for me or for others, It causes me to stop in shock and awe and appreciation to God that there are people out there whom he is using as his mask. God is putting those people on in order to show what actually wins. After all, Jesus laid everything down and therefore on account of that, even death on a cross, God exalted him to the highest place. So that's really what wins. God has allowed me to see that glimpse in the lives of so many other people who have done the same. And does he not still do the same today? Does he not still have that planned and in store for you? So in our relationships with one another, and the one another means all others, our attitude, this inner heart, is moved and changed and even controlled by the Savior who laid it all down for us even to death on a cross. And that's really what wins at the end of the day, and that's really what lasts throughout all eternity. And so our attitudes can and should, and and God help us, will be like that of Christ Jesus. We set all that down because we view a Savior who willingly goes to the cross for me and for you. And so what are we not willing to do out of service and love and sacrifice for others? Those are the things that affect eternity. That's the stuff that affects faith. And that is exactly what your Savior gives you a glimpse of, not only today, but this entire week. You see, there's something about this Holy Week that we get to not only experience, but we get to live out. When you know exactly what it is that your Savior has done for you that can and that only does change your entire life. So don't miss it. So don't miss it. In your Savior's words, he has so much peace and comfort for you. In your Savior's grace, he has so many blessings. In your Savior's gifts, he has so much forgiveness and comfort to unpack for you. As we follow our Savior to that upper room where he gives us this meal of comfort, of sacred intimacy with God. We follow him all the way, not only to the dungeons and to the monkey court, but even to the cross to to see what it means that he became obedient to death. Even death on a cross, and you get to hear those words, and you get to experience all of that for yourself. And then on Easter morning, we get to experience all of the grace that he gives us through the empty tomb. I cannot wait to celebrate that, not just by myself, and not just with my family, but with our church family, and hopefully also with you. There's nothing like God's people gathering around to see every wonderful step of our Savior's humiliation until he rises from that grave and is exalted to the highest place eventually. For that is our Savior who gives us not only blessings today and this week, but forever. God grant that to you all. Amen.